I can tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense in 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh my goodness, what a play! Oh, the good old days when the Broncos used to win games that came down to the wire and Gus Johnson used to blow out his vocal cords. And unfortunately, the times have turned and that was not the case Sunday afternoon at Mile High. Hello, everyone. Welcome into Mile High Magic alongside Nikki Javala. I am Michael Spencer here to recap a 16-14 loss to the Chicago Bears as the Broncos fall to 0-2 on the 2019 season. And Nikki, you and I were both at the game on Sunday in the press box, down on the field. One of the more crazy endings that I have ever witnessed, uh, especially when you go back to the final five minutes of that fourth quarter. You had the interception. Then the offense gets the ball back. They score. There's the whole two-point conversion deal. We're going to get into all of that. But first of all, just a, an incredible back-and-forth game, especially in the last five minutes. Yeah, the last fourth quarter, honestly, was was the best I think the Broncos' offense has looked. Um, and, and, you know, sustained drives, but those last two minutes, really the last 37 seconds, um, was just insane. I I thought for sure they had a win locked up after, you know, with zero seconds on the clock. (laughs) Um, but that was not the case as we found out. Um, I, I thought this was another game that showed some of the positives that the Broncos have made. Um, with Vic Fangio and his staff and some of the changes they've made with the roster. But there are still these persistent problems, problems that have been problems Mm -hmm. really for years now. It's not new to this staff or this group um, in that they continue to just get in their own way at the most inopportune times. And that happened Um, again in this game. I, I would argue that, the officials got in the way more, um, but there were so many missed opportunities and a really critical busted coverage at the very end that I don't think is getting enough attention. I, I think, you know, there's been so much focus on the call against Bradley Chubb, the roughing call where, you know, it looked pretty clean to almost anybody who watched it, as did the Eddie Goldman sack, which looked pretty clean. Um but the Broncos would have preserved a win had they not given up this 25-yard completion to Allen Robinson in the middle of the field with not a defender around. On a 4th and 15. On a 4th and 15. Usually, you take the Broncos' defense on a 4th and 15. You think they're going to get out of it, and they they did not. So let's, let's look at that drive, and I want to start with the Bradley Chubb uh, roughing the passer call, which I think anybody who looks at it is going with with any sort of unbiased opinion is going to look at it and say that is a bad call. Yes. Now you're right. The Bears had a really bad call against them earlier in the game, but that Bradley Chubb pass interference call comes on the final drive in the final minute of the game. And you could argue that it was part of what cost this team the game. And I thought Vic Fangio did his best to kind of dance around getting uh, any sort of fine. Bradley Chubb did the same thing in the locker room. You and I were both there after the game saying, hey, look, they called roughing the passer. I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah. You know, like he's he's trying not to pick up a fine there. But that was a play call that, that was clearly 
clearly a bad call. Yep, 31 seconds left. It's a first play for the Bears for them to try to counter after the Broncos get their two-point conversion. The score, 14-13. You're you're kind of at a loss for words and how bad I'm like rereading all this. I'm like, how did this happen? Like, so Bradley Chubb gets called for that, sets him back 15 yards, gives the Bears a free first down, a stopped clock. Still, Mitchell Trubisky has three consecutive incompletions. So now they're at fourth and 10, and then the Bears have a penalty of their own for too many men on the field. So it costs them another five yards. So they're at fourth and 15. Basically, there's no way that this play should have gone off. And yet, it was a wide open. Allen Robinson's just wide open, sits down for a 25-yard completion. Another questionable call after that. Yeah, with when, the timeout. Yeah, when the referees, when they ruled that there was a second left on the clock, it appeared that time expired after that play, and the Broncos would have been spared. But the official said there was a second left and so they were able to get off the 53-yard field goal for the win. And and look, I mean, you can when you look at this game, and I know it's kind of cliche to say that one play doesn't change a game, but you look at the Bradley Chubb, uh, the, the roughing the passer call, right? And, and you're exactly right. Yes, that's a terrible call. They still had a chance to get off the field. Right. They still had a chance to make a play on a fourth and 15. You can't get Mitchell Trubisky down. You leave Allen Robinson wide open in the middle of the field, and, and Will Parks tweeting um, – Right after Vic Fangio's press conference today, which I thought was really interesting, Vic Fangio was asked, was there a busted coverage on the play? And he said, yes. And that's all he said. And then Will Parks tweeted right after that, I owe my team a play, plain and simple. That to me is is Will Parks owning up for uh, a blown coverage there. Chris Harris Jr. made it sound like in he the is, locker room yeah. after the game. He wasn't going to was, rat out one of his teammates, yeah. but he made it pretty clear that that was a blown coverage. And you can see Kareem Jackson you know, at the start of the play, you can see him looking back to make sure he's got help over the top. And when Allen Robinson goes down, he kind of throws his hands up and is like, where was my help? Um, so there was clearly a busted coverage there. Um, and I, yeah, Will Parks's tweet was interesting. That was a really bad mistake, really untimely mistake. But the Broncos had had a number of those over the years. I mean, yeah. I, I thought Joe Flacco's interception on the two-yard line, really untimely interception, really bad mistake. I mean, sure, you, you could you know argue some of these penalties, the offensive holding calls, and whether they're legit or nitpicky or whatever, they're still called. They're still penalties. A lot of them negated big runs. Philip Lindsay's 20-yard run in the second mm-hmm. quarter, Royce Freeman's 13-yard run. Um they're, they, they, this is where the Broncos just kind of get in their own way. And and this is what we've seen over the last yeah. couple of years. And this is why they have been a losing football team yep. over the last couple of years. I mean, you heard Brandon, I heard Brandon Stokely talking about it, former Broncos receiver who obviously made the play that you hear on our intro here at Mile High Magic. And he's talking about, you know, the, the margin of error in the NFL is razor thin. And what separates winning teams from losing teams is razor thin. And it's those type of plays that end up coming back to haunt you. Now, I want to ask you this. When you look at this game, when you look at this team right now, I think it's really unfair to put this solely on the defense. 
I, I really do. And, and yes, they had a chance to make a play and they and they couldn't get it done. But I think I am more concerned about this offense after two games than I am about this defense moving forward. I'm more concerned about the offensive line than anything else. I think they got the talent in the run game. I actually think Joe Flacco has played quite well. He's just not had any help. Um, I think Emmanuel Sanders is playing out of his mind, which is just remarkable after two ankle surgeries in the offseason. Their tight ends are mediocre at best, but they've always been mediocre Mm -hmm. at best since Julius Thomas left. It's the offensive line. They're a liability, and that's exactly what you don't want in a line. You want a line that draws that doesn't get any attention, you know, uh, an offensive line is only noticed when they make mistakes and they've made a lot of mistakes. Like Garrett Bowles. Yeah. In particular. Like, oh boy. <laughs> two years, first two years in the league, he's led the league and accepted offensive holding penalties, seven apiece. Last game Sunday, he was called for four offensive holding penalties. Um, I think the Broncos, all told, they have been flagged for 10, three of which have been declined. Three of those were bulls. Um, he's been flagged a total of five times in two games, this is. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the season, this was one of the NFL's points of emphasis for 2019. Um, they were going to enforce offensive holding more strictly, and they clearly have. Um According to NFLpenalties.com, um, there have been a total of 93 accepted offensive holding penalties through the first two weeks. And that doesn't include Monday Night Football this week. Last year, through the first two weeks, there were only 77. So the refs are getting harder on this. And that's not good for Garrett Bowles, who continues to do the same things he's always done, um, d- despite constant coaching. He's got the best offensive line coach in the business and he's still doing the same thing. Uh, Mark Schlereth was on the Fox sports telecast and he did not mince his words no, when, <laughs> when talking about Garrett Bowles and what he's doing wrong. And it was the same thing over and over, you know, grabbing on the outside of the shoulders, driving a gra- guy into the ground, then standing up, shaking his head in disbelief and asking, what did I do? I have so many thoughts on, please, on Garrett Please Bowles. do share. One, not only does he get a lot of penalties, they come at really, really Good terrible penalties. times. Yeah. I mean, he negated a Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay 20-yard run mm-hmm. in the game against Chicago. Uh, then that same drive, as Schlereth is saying on the telecast, Mac is complaining he's going to get another call here. Just a couple plays after Schlereth says that, Mac gets another call, and it puts the Broncos off schedule. It was on a first and 10. All of a sudden, Denver's got a first and 20, and they end up not being able to convert after that. So not only are they at terrible times, but then Garrett Bowles, after the game, says, yeah, I got to get better. I I know I'm going to get better. I promise you guys I'll get better, but the refs are coming after me. Yeah. Well, of course they're coming after you. You have put yourself in this situation. I thought the more outrageous comment was, I've built this reputation for holding and I disagree with it. You had I I didn't know it was up for debate, first of all. And then second, he said, I'm really proud of myself because I've become so consistent this year. I mean, in in some ways he is consistent, (laughs) um, consistently holding. But the telling quote was, well, first from Vic Fangio post game when he's when he he shut down any questions of whether he would be at left tackle. He said he's our left tackle now and he's going to stay there. 
But today in his presser, um, he kind of opened up a little bit about what's really going on behind the scenes. And a lot of us already knew this, but it's just not kind of public, really, I guess. You know, not a lot of people talk about it, but Vic said he's got to be a little bit more technique sound. Um, He thinks he's in good position sometimes and dumps a guy at the end and thinks it's a legal block. We have to do a better job of explaining that to him. He's got to do a better job of listening to the explaining. But I think he can. This is a first round pick that they have to explain what a legal block is. Who's in his third year in the NFL? Third year. He's not a rookie. We, he's got to do a better job of listening to the explaining. That's concerning. I thought that was very telling. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it aligns with what Garrett said himself after the game. He doesn't believe it's him. He believes it's something else, somebody else. Well, and, and if you look at Garrett's body language, anytime yeah. there's a flag, yeah. one, he, he automatically assumes it's on him. Right. Um, and then two, he throws his arms up like, what do you mean? Yeah. I didn't do it. He's refusing to accept responsibility. And the Broncos are, are a hamstrung because of Juwan James's injury. They don't have anything that they can do. Like they can help him and, and chip some guys and send some running backs out, you know, to, to help him and maybe add a tight end and whatnot. But you can't replace him because you don't have a better option yeah. right now. Elijah Wilkinson is forced to play right tackle because of Juwan James's injury. You don't trust Jake Rogers to take that spot. And, right. and so if you're the Broncos, you don't have a better option right now. And that's scary. Unless it's Trent Williams, but I don't know you're that all, we want to throw that you're out big there. On, you're big on a Trent Williams deal. I'm, you know, it's, it's costly, yes, obviously. But so is Garrett Bowles right now. Garrett Bowles, it, this, it's not working. You know what I, I think on, on Trent Williams? I think that if this was a team, if this was a franchise that thought they could do something this year, they might make that move. Yeah. But I think that the, the, the cost is too high for a team that probably knows it's not going to make the playoffs, especially starting 0-2. And, and to now go out and do something and try and fix that and give up some, some future you know viability there in terms of draft picks or whatever it's going to cost to get Trent Williams – if this were a team that felt like it could make the playoffs and maybe make some noise, different situation. I think this is a team that knows that it's headed for maybe another top 10 draft pick at this point. And so what are you willing to give up to get Trent Williams? And, and I would bet that the price is too high. So what do they do next year, though? What do they do in two years when they continue to build up? Well, you got you mean you got to look at getting yourself a left tackle. You got to look at drafting a left tackle if this continues. And you, let's be honest, you and I both think that it will. You and I don't think that that all of a sudden Garrett Bowles going into game three at Lambeau Field against the Packers is going to stop holding. Yeah. That that I don't think is going to happen. It was so, a concern when he was drafted. Yep. It's been a concern ever since. It's not changing. Um, and Mike Munchak, as great a coach as he is, he's not a miracle worker. Well, that's what we talked about. I mean, when we yeah. when we did the over-under on how many times Garrett Bowles was going to get held, we said, hey, look, Mike Munchak's a great offensive line coach. He can't play Garrett Bowles' yeah. position for him. Like, there's only so much that he can do. And if Bowles is not being receptive to that coaching, yeah. then, then you got nothing. I just find it alarming that a professional is not accepting of coaching at this level. This is your job. This is your one job. And That's not only, and, and again, like, not only is he uh, in in his third year, this is an older guy, right? Like, he yeah. was an older guy when he came in. Yeah. 
But the part of this, you have to look at the Broncos and say, okay, wait a minute. He had these problems when he was at Utah. Like this is not new. He's had these problems the last two years. There is something that is not getting through there. And, and you have to start to wonder whether or not it will. All right. Garrett Bowles, obviously a, a huge, huge issue for mm-hmm. this offense. Other than Garrett Bowles, what is your take on this offense? I think you and I maybe have some some differing thoughts on, mm-hmm. on Joe Flacco and this offense as a whole. I think Flacco has been pretty good. I, I take out that interception, which was just not good <laughs> and really <laughs> untimely. Um, I think he's been pretty good. He's made the right reads. He looks in control. He steps up in the pocket. I don't think he gets any help from the line. I I, I question some of the play calls. Like, yeah. you know, when you have Noah Fant lined up on Khalil Mack. Hello. <laughs> um, I question some of the play calls. Um, but I think generally he's been pretty good. I think he's certainly been an upgrade over the quarterbacks they've had over the last three years. And there's been a number of them. Um, And I think when they give them the right pieces, adequate pieces, competent pieces, um, this could actually be a good offense. Um, Emmanuel Sanders is playing out of his mind. Um, He had a huge game, um, especially you know, after he was so frustrated at Oakland because he kept slipping on the turf, um, he didn't seem to have any problem um, this week. I think the run game certainly has the talent. Um, I don't think they've been able to do much in the run game, though, because of what's happening up front. So I think they've done some good things, but they can never keep it going because the offensive line is such a liability right now. I I agree. And I think that you have to tip your cat to Joe Flacco because yes, he threw the interception. Yes, it was bad. Part of it was a really good play um, by by Kyle Fuller, but Joe Flacco was able to come back from that and and lead a touchdown drive and then get a two-point conversion as well to give his team the lead. You wouldn't have seen that from any quarterback that has been inside Broncos headquarters or has worn a Bronco helmet since Peyton Manning, right? And that touchdown like, pass, that was a hell of a throw. Incredible. I mean – And a heck of a catch. Too. Yeah. Oh, both sides. I mean, that's that's a that's the makings of a good offense, I think. I just – it's going to take a little bit longer. I also think that we're getting a little bit of fool's gold because, yet again, we are seeing this late in games, right? Like, where is it – in the second quarter and in the third quarter. Right. They they got a really nice drive to start, right? I asked for that in our last podcast. I'm like, hey, can we, even if it's not a touchdown, even if it's not a field goal, can we at least move the ball on the first drive? And they did. I thought their first drive was a really good one. Ended up 10 plays, 50 yards. You get the field goal. You go up three to nothing. But after that, they didn't have a drive over 41 yards until the fourth quarter. I know. They and didn't get to the red zone until the fourth quarter. That's a problem. Yeah. They didn't get to the red zone until the third quarter at Oakland, right? That's a huge, huge issue. And if you you look, part of that is defenses, right? Because the Bears know they're playing with the lead. They're trying to protect the lead. They're playing off receivers late in that fourth quarter. So they're giving Joe Flacco um, some opportunities to hit receivers, open receivers, and maybe get up some yards. They're just trying not to give up the big play. So I think we're getting a little bit of fool's gold there because this is two weeks in a row now that we have seen this offense start to come to life in the second quarter, or excuse me, in the second half and late in games. But 
after they couldn't get anything going early. That is really concerning. Like I said, I love their first drive um, and obviously wish you would have punched it into the end zone there. But I'm, I'm a little concerned at what we're seeing from the first, second, and third quarter as a whole yeah. and, and worry if we're getting sucked into seeing some fool's gold there in the fourth quarter. They got to get going earlier. And that's another one that's kind of been the story of the Broncos, their offense anyway, for the past few years. And they struggled to score first, to score early, to sustain it. Um, so that's... And, and, I mean, you go back to that fourth quarter, they had the ball first and 10 at the 15-yard line going in with under 14 minutes to play and had to settle for a field goal. You get a touchdown there, it's a completely different game. All of a sudden, Chicago feels a little bit differently coming out. You know, and then we talked about the defense and their inability to, to get a stop on that last drive, and, and obviously they gave up the fourth and 15. I thought, for the most part, they were pretty good, though, and they forced some three and outs. You know, you go back to the opening drive. The Broncos go score, defense forces a three and out, and then the Broncos give it right back. And you're like, oh, man, if they had gotten more than four plays in that second drive, does that change maybe not the complexion of the game, but certainly how you feel going into halftime. Instead, you're only, you're only at three points at halftime. And then Vic wouldn't have to decide on going for two versus one with 37 <laughs> seconds okay. left in the game. <laughs> okay, let's talk about that. Holy smokes. I, I at first was like, why? What are you doing? And I probably would have held that opinion if it didn't go right, right? But since it did work, I'm like, oh, it's genius. Great job. Um, that was risky. It was But really it risky. was every player in the locker room said after, and even Vic himself said today, I told him that this was my approach as early as OTAs. The player said this, that if, I have a chance to win it. I'm going to try to win it. And that's what he did. He didn't want to settle for a tie and perhaps overtime. He wanted to go for the win. I His first attempt, I, I never could have predicted the series of events that happened um, after they first trotted out to go out for a two-point conversion. Then you had the delay of game and then the penalty on Chicago and you know, McManus's missed kick that was spared by that penalty. And then they go out again to try for the two-point conversion and they succeed. Um, it was wild, but it was risky. I like it because it worked. I would have hated it if it didn't. Where were you? Were you watching that from the press box? I was box in the press box. Point? So yeah. I'm, I'm down on the field. I'm on the opposite end, uh-huh. right? So I'm, I'm literally 100 plus yards away and I'm, and I'm watching it and it's tough to see the Emmanuel Sanders grab, right, from where we are. And so then I noticed the offense is staying out on the field. And I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. They have the points on the board. They must have ruled that he didn't get in the end zone. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they're going – what? Yeah. They're going for two? Are you are you serious? As and soon then- as as soon as soon Emmanuel caught the touchdown, Vic immediately put up the number two and waved it so all his players could see. I mean, you want to talk about some, some guts, and yeah. that's being nice. Um, I, I thought it was huge. And even though they didn't win the game, to me, and you're right, we talked to a bunch of guys in the locker room afterwards. The players loved that. They loved and, it. And to me, they lost the game, yes, but he won over the locker room because of that call. Yeah. And because he basically said, hey, you know what? I trust my offense. Go get it, fellas. And and he knows he's going to get second guess, right? Like if he missed it, you're writing something different. I'm saying something different. But but I love the gumption there to go for that. And the fact that they got it, 
obviously, you know, it pays pays dividends in spades. Um, it's it just unfortunate for them yeah. that they they end up losing the game. But you're, I'm with you. I couldn't believe it at yeah. first, and then they got it, and it was like, oh my gosh! And and I loved, uh, I loved his players' reactions to it. Von Miller, that's dope. That is the most Von Miller response we could have gotten. That's my kind of coach. That's dope. Um, Took a double loss, but it was it was dope. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Speaking of Von Miller, yes. Um, Bradley Chubb, Derek Wolf, even. Um, still another game without a sack. I looked this up during the game, and I was pretty blown away by this stat. Um, also pretty proud of myself for figuring out how to use the little play index. Um, so, shameless shameless yeah, pat yeah. on the back right there. Yeah, like you're it. welcome, everybody. Um, <laughs> it's the second consecutive game the Broncos have not had a sack or a takeaway. This has only happened once previously in the franchise's entire history. Incredible. Yeah. Incredibly bad. Incredibly, incredibly bad considering who they have. Like the last time it happened was 07. They have Bradley Chubb, Vaughn Miller, Derek Wolf. Like teams would drool to have one of those, right? right? Still can't get a sack. I did think, you know, going back after watching the film, I did think Bradley Chubb actually played quite well. I thought he played really well. Yeah. But the fact that they can't, you know, get a hand on the quarterback is alarming. And Derek Wolf was very defensive afterwards. Um, Bradley Chubb on this issue too, they both said, you know, the quarterbacks are getting the ball out quickly and we can't do it. And with Derek Carr, that was, that was totally true. He got it out and like super fast, but Trubisky, he averaged 2.68 seconds to throw Flacco by comparison, averaged 2.37 seconds. And they, how many sacks did they get on? Flacco? Yeah. So, Clearly, it can be done. Um, Vic said it, it's more a factor of, you know, opposing offenses are running the ball versus and as opposed to passing more, which is unusual. It's become such a pass-happy game anymore. Um, but they got they got to find a way to get to the quarterback. There's just no way around it. Um, that alone, the sacks, the quarterback hits, that's not the end-all, certainly. Um, like I said, Chubb played well in the run. Uh, I thought he created pressure. I thought he created opportunities for others. Um, I think Vaughn has played well in the run too, um, but they got to get a sack. And you know what's interesting? It's like, I think a lot of times we we pin that number on great pass rushers, right? And right. I think everybody would agree Vaughn Miller fits into the great pass rusher category. And he himself has said in previous years, sometimes that's a little unfair, but he also follows it up with, that's my job, right? right? Like my job is to get sacks and I'm not doing that right now. And I, I use that term double loss. That's what Vaughn said yeah. uh, last night after the game in the locker room. He was like, it's a, it's a double loss for Vaughn, meaning I didn't get a sack, which counts as a loss for me. And then my team lost the game. So that's a double loss. And, and that is very concerning. Um, Joe Flacco was sacked two times yesterday, by the way. Um, this is... This is an issue, right? And we talked about it after week one. For the amount that you pay those guys for for what they bring or are supposed to bring, they've got to get back there. And uh, I'm a little – I don't know which way to feel, right? Like I don't know if, if it's strictly on them. I think a lot of it has to do with teams game planning to prevent them as any team would. But but the big question is why are, they, why are the Raiders and the Bears – 
being so successful this year in particular, because everybody has known about Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, uh, especially Von Miller, who's been in the league for, for obviously longer than Chubb has. So what is it about this year that teams are doing differently to keep those guys off the quarterbacks? And Vaughn even said after the game, he's like, I got to make a play on fourth and 15. I got to get Mitchell Trubisky and he's, he's not doing it. And if this continues, they're going to continue to lose ball. Yep. Absolutely. The bigger concern to me is not necessarily the sacks. It's just getting to the quarterback. They had what one quarterback hit and they didn't have any in week one. And that was a key. Um, That was a key that we talked about, you know, with a young guy like Trubisky, you get to him. And if you can do that early, you can rattle him and maybe he's throwing, trying to throw some balls away. Can't get the oomph on it that he wants. That leads to some interceptions. No takeaways from yeah. this team. Yeah. This is it, it's. Symbi- well, I think it starts with the pass. It's rush. symbiotic. Yeah. I was just about to say yeah. that it's they are connected, and and I also think the pass rush could be better served by some help from the corners. Yeah. You know, if if the corners can get up and and make Trubisky hold on to the ball a little bit longer, then obviously the pass rush gets there. And until they start doing that. It's going to be a long season for this for this defense, at least yeah. in, in terms of pass rush. Because they've had plenty of games in the past where they weren't able to get a sack, but they had plenty of hits on the quarterback, plenty yeah. of pressures, and it was enough to rattle, you know, especially the young guys. Um, and that's what they did best. I mean, Vaughn always says sacks come in bunches, and I think they'll get theirs, but they have to be able to create that pressure. You and want- they need Bryce Callahan to come back. Yes. yes I, teams do. still continue to pick on Isaac Yadam. Yeah. They need Bryce Callahan. Yeah. And I think they need Todd Davis too. Yeah. I mean, we were talking, you know, last night and kind of exchanging some notes over the game and, and run defense was one that kind of stood out. And one that Vic touched on in his press conference after the game saying we haven't done a good enough job uh, and certainly didn't do it in their game against the Bears in terms of overall run defense and how the Bears were able to to kind of control that and, and pick up big chunks. And to me, it screamed to this team missing Todd Davis. Yep. And and not a knock necessarily on Josie Jewell, not a knock on Corey Nelson, but they're not Todd Davis caliber players. Um, and, and we thought Davis was going to be back in the lineup for this game. He wasn't, and I thought that was a big reason why the Broncos' run defense wasn't as good as it yeah. could have been Sunday afternoon. Yeah, the Bears were able to create a lot of damage up the middle. Um, they finished with 153 rushing yards for an average of 5.3 yards per carry. Um, the Oakland game wasn't statistically bad, but you know, Vic said afterwards he never felt like they were fully in control of the run game. And, and if you watch the game, that much seemed obvious. Um, the total last night was pretty bad um but they they, they got to fix that and I, I think it's a whole package you know yeah. the, the pressure on the edge affects the pressure up in the middle affects the cornerbacks they got to figure it out and, and you know it's it's times like these where I'm wondering you know they have Bradley Chubb they have Von Miller elite talents do they have enough talent elsewhere mm-hmm. though I think on offense, you could certainly argue no, especially on the offensive line, maybe tight end, depending on what Noah Fant turns into. I don't know that they have enough talent at inside linebacker on the interior defensive line and the defensive backfield. You know, they they have two great edge rushers and they haven't been able to do what they do best lately. No, I'm with you there. I think there's a there's a lack of talent on this football team, and it is starting to show. Especially when you look at you know some of the big runs 
that they gave up. I mean, they gave up, I think it was nine yards on a third and three. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, you get that and you're off a the field. A couple times, I think. A couple you know? nine-yard runs on third downs. Like, yeah. that, those are big plays where you got to you gotta be able to beat your guy, right? Like, you got to be able to, as cliche as it sounds, man up and go one-on-one and be able to be better than the guy across from you. And right now, they're not able to do that. All right, so let's talk about some good stuff. Um, <laughs> do you have a mile high salute? To I, do, I do. Please um, do sh- share. I do. Share. I I'm going off the reservation yet again, which has become kind of a tendency. Uh, I'm giving mine to Eddie Pinheiro. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. Look, look, bottom line is the Bears have had some kicking struggles. That guy came in to mile high. He was three for three, kicked the game winner. There is a ton of pressure on him because of what has happened to that franchise, especially at that spot over the last year or so. I, you got to give a salute to a guy when he comes in and, and kicks that. I mean, that's the ball game there. And uh, so I, I know it's unconventional. I know Broncos fans don't want to hear that, but sometimes you just got to give credit where credit is due and uh, and give your salute. And mine's going to Eddie Pinheiro. I'm docking him a couple points for the abysmal celebration afterwards. Him or but me? Oh, me? His okay. celebration. Right. I don't know what that was. Maybe Marquette <laughs> King needs to step in there. Um, yeah, that's actually a good selection. Um, I feel better when you approve. Yeah. Of my no, selections. after thinking it through, I approved. But at first, I was like, no, that's not okay. Um, I am going to choose a Bronco. You're welcome. Um, I think it goes without saying that Emmanuel Sanders was Huge. the star of the game. Just. It just kind of amazes me still to think of what he overcome in the offseason, Achilles surgery, and then a surgery on his other ankle. And to be able to play the way he is, um, it looks like he didn't deal with anything in the offseason. 11 catches, 98 yards, just too shy of a 100-yard game. Um, he had the lone touchdown. He's the only Bronco to us. To score this season. Um, he had a touchdown in the open wow. game too. Isn't that wild? Wow. That's not I didn't great. Know that. No, um, that's not great. Uh, he had the two-point conversion. Um, just clutch player, smart player. Um, I thought that you go back and watch pretty much every angle you can because they showed every angle um, of his touchdown catch and just the awareness to know where his body is, where his feet is, where his feet are, sorry, um, and, and to pull in the ball. That was a high catch. Um, and to stay in the end zone is just remarkable. Well, and you mentioned me. it last night. He had two surgeries two on surgeries. those feet. Two. He could not walk up the <laughs> stairs. He was crawling upstairs. Wild. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're trying to end on like a, a glass half full type note, if you will. Yeah. I, I think there is room for positivity from the Broncos offense. And one thing that stood out to me, their top five longest plays in terms of, of biggest yards Five different guys. That is good. Noah Fant, Emmanuel Sanders, Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, and Cortland Sutton. I, I, I like that a lot. And that speaks to me of, okay, we've got some playmakers here. There's something developing here. You know, we talked a lot about Cortland Sutton after that Raider game. And, and I think I said, look, okay, you get a good connection with Cortland Sutton already going. Now, if you can get that connection going with Emmanuel Sanders, you're going to feel really good about this offense. You started to see that a little bit in week two. So I think there's room. Obviously, there's room for improvement. I think there's a little, little glimmer of hope there on the offensive front that there are so many guys getting involved. 
and that he's got, he being Joe Flacco, has a really, really good connection right now with both Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders. He went to Sanders early and often Sunday against the Bears. And then I thought Cortland Sutton made some really, really big plays down the stretch, made some really, really big grabs. Um, And that, to me says, okay, there's there's hope here for this offense yeah. moving forward. I thought Royce also had a big game, probably deserves yes. a salute himself, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, 54 rushing yards, 48 receiving yards. Um, he just came through with some big carries and catches. Um, it was just huge in that final quarter. That 2018 class is so far, I think, living up to pretty high expectations yeah. that were set um, after their – first season. And it helps that Philip Lindsay's in there as an undrafted yes. rookie too yes. doing, doing kind of well obviously. Um one one thing I do want to I do want to give a shout out to to Noah Fant. Like people are down on Noah Fant because of his blocking. Mm-hmm. I thought there were some plays where he actually did well on one of the Royce Freeman runs. He had a nice chip on Khalil mm-hmm. Mack, but that's about coaching. That's about putting that guy in that situation to make that block. Mm-hmm. When he is man up on Khalil Mack and you're asking him to block that's Khalil Mack fair. and pass rush. No, yeah. that's not fair to a lot of yeah. people, especially to a rookie tight end who's not known for his pass blocking, right? right? Like put him in good spots. There was another play where uh, it was it was Lindsay's third and 15 pickup mm-hmm. um, where they dumped it off to Philip Lindsay. He didn't make a great block on the play, but he got in the way of a guy who could have made the play. Uh, I think it was Rokon Smith. That to me is like, okay, okay, there's there's light there. But what you're doing is you're putting that guy in situations to where he can't contribute, you know? I mean, because there was another play to Philip Lindsay. It was a screen and Leonard Floyd. You're asking him to block Leonard Floyd one-on-one. Don't do that, right? Like, don't put him in a position where he can't succeed. To me, that's on coaching. So don't be down too much on Noah Fant um, after, after just two games. I think the coaching staff needs to do a better job of putting him in a position to succeed. I, I think he had a rough week one, but I also think he's been cast in this really unfair situation yes. where he will always be the what if guy. What if we got, you know, that linebacker uh-huh. instead of Noah Fant? So he will always have this comparison and it's not because of anything he did. Um, I, I think for pass catchers, especially, it is a very difficult transition, um, especially coming from the offense he did. Right. Um, and what he's being asked to do in this offense, it is very difficult, but I think he'll be just fine. All right. We got a couple things uh, coming up for you. Obviously, our next podcast is going to drop on Thursday. We will uh, dig deeper into the Broncos matchup against the Packers. Woo! Man, not a team that you Fangio, though, right has now. typically had That's true. quite a bit of success against Aaron Rodgers. We'll see if he can. Pull some magic out of his hat for this one. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, he kind of downplayed what he was able to do against the Bears going into that game. I thought for the most part they had a decent a decent defensive game plan. Um, and, and I'll be interested to hear from Vic Fangio later on in the week about how playing Aaron Rodgers twice every year when he was in Chicago will benefit him moving forward as they as they travel to Lambeau and try and pick up their first win of the season. Obviously that podcast coming up for you uh, on Thursday. We'll dive into that quite a bit. We do have some more exciting big news at The Athletic. Um, with our friends at Wondery, we just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. It's the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown 
Um, and with the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, um, co-hosts Kavitha Davison and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. Um, what you're about to hear is a preview of the lead. Uh, you can subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. Um, there's also a link in the episode notes that you'll take from there, and you can check it out at theathletic.com slash the lead, T-H-E-L-E-A-D, to read stories that are featured on the podcast. So until then, we'll talk to you Thursday. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. And that's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down! Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a The lead. Sports up close.